This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. We're missing a ton of regularly scheduled people here. This is supposed to be our RV industry-focused show, fourth week of every month. And before I forget, I'm going to thank a Camp Spot, who is our sponsor for this episode. I always tend to forget that until about 20 minutes in, and then I regret it. But Camp Spots are our sponsor for the show, so we're thankful to them. We're missing a bunch of RV industry people. They had an RV industry open house today this week over the last couple of days or is it still going on susan and steve were both there still going on started monday yep okay so monday we'll talk a little today. bit about that and the experience there and what's happening but that's where we're missing shane devinish phil and Gracia from rva who are normally on the show eleanor ham from rva canada are all three there and then uh kara had a personal situation she had to step away nothing terrible is happening she's okay but she'll be back next week and so we've got steve who's our regular guest here from the shift group steve i would say your last name but i'm confident a hundred percent i will pronounce it wrong so do you want to introduce yourself very briefly and tell the audience who you are sure so steve gilliam and i am a president of specialty vehicles for the shift group we've got our brand in the rv space is spartan rv chassis so we're selling premium class 8 diesel motoring chassis and you made the cranes detroit so the fast 50 growing businesses is super impressive from what I understand. Yeah. As a company, we've really done a lot of things in this space and other spaces. We're very active in the last mile parcel delivery space as well, which has been growing pretty rapidly. But as a company, have been growing very rapidly over the past two, three years. So I definitely want to talk about, again, what makes Shift Group kind of unique and different and how you guys made this list and where you see the future going. So we're definitely going to devote time to that. I want to introduce very briefly Bobby Cornwell, who's a special guest on the show. He wasn't normally scheduled to be here, but he is the executive director of the Florida and Alabama RV Parks and Campground. I always mix up which one comes which, Bobby, but did I get that right? Oh, man. Okay. So Bobby... And Bobby is going to talk to us very briefly here in a few minutes, just about how associations, obviously we all know Florida is going through a terrible time right now for Hurricane Ian is over the state right now. It's expected to sit and park there for 24 hours. And so he's got some updates from some parks and we really want to just talk to the whole audience as a whole about associations and how being a member of them can be very useful to you. And in times of both good and bad, right? But especially maybe in bad, they come together, they create logistics, they can help lobby, they can send out communications and just support each other. And so Bobby's here to talk about that. And then we also have Mr. Scott Nepp from the Ivy Group, who's not been on our show before, but Scott manages through Ivy Group, four different parks in the Florida area. And so just a little bit about how maybe he preps his parks in advance of a disaster like this or a potential disaster like this and how he handles guest requests and phone calls and things like that. And just how he reacts to those kinds of things. So we're excited to have Scott here as well. And we lost, lost somebody here, but uh, hopefully he'll be back. So let's start with Steve, the uh, shift group really quick. We lost Susan. Tell us again, I, I admittedly am focused primarily on campgrounds and RV parks. It's just where my business is. I do marketing for lots of them and I've been in the industry, that side of the industry for 15 plus years. So I'm still getting myself very familiar with the RV industry side of things through modern campground and stuff like that. So I would love to just hear, tell us about shift group, what you guys do, what makes you special. Give us your elevator pitch, but feel free to go longer. Okay, sure. Yeah. Shift group is a publicly traded company and about a billion dollars in revenue. And we uh, have, have a, a number of businesses diverse. This, or we're divided really into two divisions, specialty vehicles, and also into what we call fleet vehicles group. Maybe I'll just chat about that quickly. The fleet vehicles group is really focused on those delivery type vehicles, parcel delivery as of late, high degree of focus on the last mile delivery space with customers like Amazon, FedEx. Yes. We actually build those vehicles for them as well as do upfitting for shelves and interiors, things like that for, for the vans, the pure vans that they're utilizing. 
Uh, so so on delivery vans that we see in our area, right? Yeah, exactly. If you, those that you see in your neighborhood, there's a chance those were manufactured uh, by the shift group. Awesome. Okay. So that's obviously been an area that's been growing pretty rapidly with what's going on with people and their kind of changing behaviors to order more, order most, more things online and then obviously have those delivered to you. On my side, the specialty of vehicle group, which includes Spartan RV chassis. Spartan RV chassis, as I mentioned earlier, we manufacture classy diesel motorhome chassis, really in the, more in the premium end of the, the segment. But we've been in business under the Spartan brand selling there for with south of 40 years. So long history with the, the RV space. We've been growing pretty rapidly as a, as a group there, really focused on innovations and a lot of innovations, bringing what many of us would consider technologies that we've become accustomed to in, in cars into the large class A diesel motorhome. So things like collision mitigation, adaptive cruise control. We've done like lane departure warning systems. We've done a lot of things with camera systems. We've got a custom designed dash for each of our customers that will effectively show cameras on the side of the vehicle if you're changing lanes or show cameras on the back of the vehicle if you're putting your vehicle in reverse. So those kind of things. Also some cool innovations like our big motorhomes have tag axles. So we've got systems that actually level the weight between your tag and drive, depending upon how much luggage you're putting in different storage phase across the motorhome. And then one we just introduced recently is a dump assist where if you pull up to a dump station to drop your brown or gray water, that the the vehicle will actually tilt to one side to assist in that operation with the push lights there at the tank. So things like that, we just recently announced or launched a new steering wheel system that's got effectively three pods, so the two pods to the side, east and west, as well as a, a larger pod on the bottom of the steering wheel that allows a lot more functionality for our customers actually on the wheel so they can keep their eyes on the road and, and also have that functionality at the fingertips. So a lot of innovations driven our growth in that space. Very active. Again, I was just at open house this morning and continue to be active in RBIA and the overall RV market. I guess the third one I'll mention, we just recently launched another group called Blue Arc. So we are in the process of developing and launching our own cab chassis. It will first go into the, again, parcel delivery space as there's a high demand for those type of vehicles in that space. And we're looking to launch in the second quarter of next year. Again, we will have our own vehicle cab chassis, and then we'll actually be launching with our own proprietary body as well. Exciting stuff there. Again, another innovative product that's helped to drive our growth. And then beyond that, we're looking at what applications we might want to do besides parcel delivery into the future, which could make its way into the, into the RV space as well. Steve, I'm going to apologize because I feel like I could talk to you for an hour and I'm not going to be able to, because I have to get our other outstanding guests some time here. Sure. I have a couple questions that I can think of on the top of my head. The first one that came to mind when you were talking is shift group has been around for over 40 years. You said, yeah, here it is now. With that long history, how do you all of a sudden make the fastest growing companies list? What changed for you guys? I think as with anything, it starts with leadership. We had Daryl Adams came on as CEO in late 2014. I started early 15. We've got some additional leaders that have come on over the past few years to round out our team. I think just focus on being innovative as well as customer service focused. And we've also... Again, launched into some new segments, like I mentioned with the new EV, that's a new space for us, our first EV powertrain. And then we've also, again, in, in my group, made some acquisitions. I didn't talk really about truck body, but we're very active in the truck body space with two primary brands, Royal, which is a steel truck body and Duramag, which is a aluminum truck body. So we've had some acquisitions and so we've seen some pretty significant growth there, which has fueled our success as well. But just continuing to stay innovative, close to our customer base, and a strong push from a team perspective to drive year-over-year growth. Innovative is one of the things, like I'm a big tech geeky guy, right? So as you're going through all these little innovations that you have, and admittedly, I've never owned an RV because I, I can't afford one yet, but I'll get there. I can't afford one with my other lifestyle choices. How about that? But 
Yeah, yeah, I would love to talk to you about all these innovations. I feel like that's a really, as you already know, right, a game changer for some of the industry. So if I could put you on the spot and ask you this question, and I know you can't talk about future innovations being a publicly traded company, right? Or at least not as much as somebody who wasn't good. Is there something that's in your vehicles now or something that you can talk about that just like one feature that really excites you above all the other? I'll go back to basics. If you're buying a motorhome and it's on a class A diesel, ride and handling is critical. The, as much as we can make our customers get into a 55,000 pound GBW vehicle that's larger than most commercial trucks and make it drive like their Cadillac or Audi with the, the comfort as well as the, of the ride and handling, the maneuverability, that, that is core to us. And in fact, we just launched a brand new independent front set suspension system this year that we believe is by far best in class and really adds to that, I'm going to say level of confidence and comfort as a driver. It, I could talk, I talked about some of the other technologies we've done, but back to the basics from a foundational perspective, having that best in class ride and handling is definitely critical. Yeah. You're not wrong, but from a consumer perspective, who's bought other vehicles where suspensions are super important, right? I'm a Jeep guy, a Wrangler guy. Yeah. And so that suspension is super important when I'm doing those bumpy rides that I like to do. I, you need to start making suspensions for boats because I was on my <laughs> girlfriend. That is bumpy going across. Yeah. The we need to solve that problem. That's probably another billion dollar industry, right? There. Drive a little slower. That's true. But then what's the fun of that? <laughs> so anyway, so my last question for you before we move on, and obviously you're welcome to stay on the show and we'd love to have your opinions and thoughts on some of the other things we're discussing is it, it's from a speculation standpoint. And I know you said the EV group is not really your side of things, right? That you're going to, or are starting or going to start? Yeah, I'm part of the leadership team, but I am not directly involved with the day-to-day -day leadership in that business, correct? So I'm not asking you from a shift group perspective, because I know you can't comment specifically to that, but just in your opinion, how far do you think we are away from an EV chassis on an RV at scale? Like uh, consumers are buying more of these than gas. I don't think we're that far away from having the challenge really with EV and an RV is just the application range and cost. RV for the most part drives a lot of steady state on the highway. So there's not a lot of regeneration and braking, which can be a little bit of a challenge. And the highest cost component of EVs is the batteries. So the heavier the vehicle is, the more batteries required, right? So I think you're probably going to start to see EVs uh, showing themselves in the lighter categories like like a b van a, a smaller class a like what i was talking about what we're doing for parcel if we were to convert one of those into home it would be a smaller class a like into class five probably and then potentially some lighter class c's but i, I do think we're years away from having the type of adoption where you'd actually see them from a from an overall share of this perspective displacing ice chassis i think it's going to be a gradual grow over time Okay. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Again, please, I'd love for you to stay for the show and comment on anything else we have going on here. I'm sure we, I might randomly get back to you with a question, but I just wanted to get your time there going first. Okay. Um, I appreciate that. And then if we really want to touch base briefly, and I know Bobby and Scott, I'm sorry, I'm just going to kick you a few more minutes down the road, but just because we just talked to Steve and we want to involve Susan here. Susan's from the RV Women's Alliance. She's a regular guest on the show. Do you guys want to talk briefly about what this open house is that you guys went to and, and what you experienced there and what the benefit is? So maybe the industry is a large, at a large to have this. Okay. Whoever wants to start, don't be shy. Susan, Steve, whoever. I'm, oh, I think I'm hearing. Oh, oh, like, Susan talks, so she hasn't talked with them. I'd be glad to jump in. I think you're go just ahead. a little legs. So go ahead, Steve. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's an opportunity for manufacturers, particularly those who are producing in the Elkhart area to bring in primarily dealers to see their current product offerings and also provides an opportunity for them to see some of the new technologies as well as what's out there from a supply chain perspective. And also will be opportunity for them to place orders for upcoming RV deliveries. So it's definitely a very heavy dealer centric meeting. And I think, or I should say show first couple of days, pretty much focused on, on that. And then 
And the third day gives the opportunities for suppliers to come out and see what product offerings are available for different manufacturers and also interface with uh, key leaders from different companies as well. And something that was started not that long ago, but an opportunity for them to host a show in the Elkhart area where there is obviously a very high population of manufacturers for them to do that locally. So kind of showcasing the, the local area as well. Would you say if I really took it down and generically described it, maybe in a sentence that, that this is the place where the, the manufacturers put themselves in touch with the dealers and convince them that their rig or their technology or their supply chain part or whatever is what they should be carrying on their lots and selling in their stores? Yeah, that as well as I think getting them even more comfortable with the portfolio and new product offerings they have in their existing franchises that they carry. Talk knowledgeably about them. Yeah, yeah. And you have a very strong concentration of leadership from the different RV manufacturers. So it gives you the opportunity to talk to sales, customer service, engineering, all at one, one show. So it's very well attended by the manufacturers. And I think it's a great resources for the resource for the dealers to be able to come and talk to that diverse group of, of leaders from the manufacturers. Yeah. It sounds like it. Like I've been having conversations with a, a lot of people, like we're planning a, an upcoming British Columbia conference conference here. That's a hybrid event. And we've been hearing about from different leaders around the industry of how maybe COVID has changed the necessity to come meet in person at conferences just solely for education when education has become so democratized and online and available everywhere. But my counter argument, and everybody who knows me knows I'm a tech guy, so I very rarely argue against tech, but is that the networking component can't be replaced. Like you're talking about the dealers and the manufacturers and the opportunity to meet with leadership yeah. and talk to them. I don't think that's ever going to be replaced by tech. No, I think the personal component is certainly something that is necessary and to be able to interface now, it's refreshing after what we've been through with COVID over the last couple of years to be able to interact at a show and in an open environment where we got food trucks out and then people are casual and people <laughs> walk around and interface with the different manufacturers. Awesome. Susan, do we have you back or are you still lagged? I don't know. Can you, am I still delayed? A little bit, but you're like, I think you're good enough. You want to try? What was okay. your experience at the open house with it? Yeah. No, you've, you're absolutely right. It's an opportunity for the dealers to come and next year see the new models because this is when the time the manufacturers are sent new models so the big hall of fame here also had a supplier shows went in and did booths there but really open houses were all occurred in a different sense rather than just manufacturing but it's more of a showcase so sure you get badges and they're literally just not in one location they're throughout Elkhart County even into St. Joseph County and depending on the manufacturer, you have Rev, you have Forest River, you got Thor, you got a lot of the smaller playing here too. It's a really great opportunity. I don't know how many of you were with the space, but many years ago, there used to be a thing called the Louisville Show. Okay. And it used, they'd all bring their units down to Louisville, Kentucky into the event space there. Well, this, they brought it up to Albuquerque. And basically, the OEMs do their own things. And, you know, wine that will show the dealerships their appreciation for, for their support and to the new ones. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. I'm going to do a hard pivot here to topics real quick. Totally unrelated to each other. But again, Steve, Susan, I'd love for you guys to stay here and share with us input and do all those kinds of things. Because I'm sure that there are obviously dealers who you guys have maybe even touched base with an Elkhart who are from Florida. who may have shared some of those concerns. So. I think I'm we'll gonna start with Bobby. Sorry, I just randomly picked straw, Scott. It wasn't anything against you. But uh, <laughs> Bobby, the executive director of the Florida Association of Every Parks, I, I saw your emails, Bobby. I only had a chance to skim them, the communication that you sent out to your members. But I guess you wanna just start briefly, just tell us, give us your 30 second elevator pitch of what the association is, does, and then maybe how you, let's start with how you communicated with your members in advance, like you were showing me. I can't hear you, Bobby. You're muted. You don't look muted, but there we go. I'm sorry. Okay, perfect. I'm muted because I'm getting calls and emails now from the, the parts down in that area that are going through it. 
to say the least. So it's bad down in Fort Myers right now. But anyway, I'll touch on that. But yeah, the association uh, provides support in any ways to members who get times of bad, as you mentioned earlier, we provide legislative marketing services. Education, action, just your typical trade association type benefits. Our strong points are our legislative activities. We have very good lobbyists and legislative team here in Tallahassee. Passed laws to protect the parks in Florida and the park owners, operators, as well as Alabama as well. And the that happening through our Camp Florida publication website. That's, those are, uh, I would say, our top top benefits. Yeah, that assist to providing support for our members and whatever they needed at networking, helping developers of build parks in Florida to get through that process, which can be a very big process at times. So we help there as well. And just provide support where needed. Speaking of legislatively, and it's going to be coming. The place said, unfortunately, if we had a panel pass uh, about four years now ago that allows operators, operators to rebuild their sites in their park as they were originally playing at it. For instance, if a park was built 50 years ago, destroyed by a storm, and then they get a rebuild. Many times in the past, county wouldn't allow them to build to the original density, forcing the park to lose maybe half of their sites, which could result in millions and millions of dollars in income a year. So we got some important legislation passed allowing them to rebuild to their original density. So unless that's going to come into play now, some of the reports I'm getting for Myers is that a lot of parks are underwater already. So scary. Our thoughts are for sure with them. So I guess let's start here and say that you as an executive director as Bobby, what goes through your mind when you turn on the TV and see a forecast of this thing that's coming towards you to a direct hit, not a skirt like four is used to? It's, yes, where it's going to hit, hope that it hits in the best possible place if there is one, not in a high density area. And I believe down in Tallahassee and Scott, I think Asia parks are in the panhandle as well in Panama City areas. And for those park banners, it's a sign of relief that they have concern for the others. Those parks are even Florida, so some are bound to get that. But yeah, this is preparation. Beforehand, so I'm beginning the week as soon as we know what's going to get far out, we start sending out directives to the operators, emergency management procedures. We have documents we get from the state of Florida as well, which advises them on how to evacuate a park when they should evacuate a park. So it's the safety communication lines and then start that channel of flow of communications through the park and our association. Because after this community will work with us, the Florida or the emergency management districts, et cetera. A man reporter's coming in, contractors looking for places to stay as they rebuild. So we try to locate people who need accommodations in the different parts that are open near the dead areas. So it's that once again, what parks are damaged, what parks are open, what parks have availability. So we're kind of a, a clearinghouse and a resource for all that. So that's where that really comes into play following the storm. Is there a guideline or a playbook that you would say, oh, we have here on the news, right? That these people are under mandatory evacuation. These are people are under semi-mandatory. These people should really go where they're staying. Is there a guideline for, and I know it's not an industry standard, right? But that you would maybe recommend to park owners who are in the path, might be in the path to say, I'm going to shut down my park at this point, or I'm going to stay open at this point, or I'm going to ask my guests to leave at this point or any guidance like that. Yeah. The only thought I have is we just follow whatever your county man emergency management system is saying. So if they say you need to evacuate in this zone, or they will say our big parks in this area need to evacuate. So definitely listen to whatever advice you know, you're given. And yes, generally it takes a long time to evacuate a park. Our beers have to hook up and get out of there. And that's not an easy process, especially if a larger park. Uh, so the more advanced notification you can give, the better. You're going to have many our beers who do not want to leave. They think it's not going to hit them. They're going to ride it out. Not a good idea, obviously. And it's not a good idea to let them stay or to let them stay in your rec hall or office per se, unless it's a hurricane shelter. Is there going to be opens them up to liability? Yeah, liabilities, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the bias. You think you're going to be in the path. Just evacuate, get out of there and make it mandatory for sure. I think I was going to ask this question a little bit later, but just since you touched on liability standpoint, how does it work from a park, from an insurance perspective, both for the guests, their rigs that may or may not be left there? them leaving or not leaving. And like you're saying, potentially open yourself up to further things. How can they best protect themselves to prepare for that? Once again, the best way is to make sure nobody's there. So if, if that can be done, that, that's your best bet. And, and it's a win-win game. If we can't get out of there and you feel that, okay, this person is better off in our office or in a rec hall that he would be in his RB, then you got to make that call. And where the liability is going to come into play, you know, I can't 
necessarily just go by that on the tie. You gotta just go by your gut and what's the safest location for the vehicles that are left in the park. But once again, generally it's advisable to not let them stay unless you for sure have a stone shelter that's built to standards. So what are you hearing right now from uh, constant tech messages, all that kind of stuff? I really yeah. appreciate you joining us, by the way, because I'm sure this is going to be, if not already, a swamp day for you. It's a, like it's a text day. You're hearing these reports coming up until literally an hour ago. I didn't hear much of anything. Now they're starting to flow through. Um, four buyers, yeah, four buyers is in bad shape. That's being hit hard right now. Got some video and some people saying they're seven feet underwater for the beach areas. Uh, that's just not it. So that could get a lot worse. Say the whole South West Florida, I think is going to have a lot of damage, especially for the parts on the coast. It's, it's bound to happen, obviously. And then, you know, the, this flooding inward is it's, I think it's going to be bad. I really do. Say that. You're starting. That's the kind of scary yeah. thing, right? Like it's like park over you guys in rain for 24 hours, at least I heard. Yeah. And so if you some moves past the ocean, you're not going to have the storm surge, but you're going to have the flooding and they're predicting anywhere from 12 to 20 inches of rain in some places. And tornadoes, right? Tornadoes, of course. Yeah. And that you're right. That's a big part of it. And that seems to do most of the damage uh, usually. So that and the flooding, but there won't be a lot of loss of life. A lot of pedestals are underwater. BNT, Lunar RB is underwater. So we have started working with Bank and a couple of other mobile repair services who are going to be going from park to park after the storm and communicating with us and park owners about who needs repairs for the RB or themselves. Because obviously there's going to be a lot of RBs that are damaged too. So we're trying to together yeah. network with that. It's really valuable to have people like that step up and support and shows the character of those people. So I'm really grateful for people like that in the industry. Yeah, I appreciate their support as well, getting the message out because a lot of it relies on other communication networks and channels, whether it's news media or industry media, uh, getting the word out. So that's helpful as well. Yeah, it's obviously a small role to play compared to actually being boots on the ground. But yeah, whatever we can do, again, you know that from an association standpoint, both from a communicating to the public, to safety, to afterwards, if there's miscommunication saying that something's destroyed, that's not safe to come back, but is, and we want to help get business back to places too, where it's appropriate to do and safe to do. So what, like, I kind of outlined briefly your procedure, like we talked about pre-procedure, right? Now you're communicating with your members. Is this kind of something where you would outreach to them or they would wait to see if they communicate with you or it's after the storm is over or? It's late. And yeah, that can be a frustrating part because we're expected to know exactly how many parts were damaged, how many weren't literally an hour after the storm passes. And we don't have that system in place. So yeah. We'll start calling. We'll reach out to all of our members in the effective path. I advise to send out emails and ask for them to also communicate with us, which they got bigger priorities, right? To deal with yeah. uh, when they're able. And if whether they are damaged, they need assistance, are there perfectly fine and have available spots to communicate with us. And then uh, we already have a lot of parts that are in the panhandle or away from the storm path that are offering sites available to evacuees to RVers that are displaced said so that's helpful. So we'll try to get that word down to what parts do have availability to those people seeking accommodations to, because it'll be a while for letting the ones parts evacuated where the RVers have gone right now. He knows, but they're hoping to come back the next day. And yep. that's not going to be the case in many of these areas. So they will have to be there. Yeah. It certainly doesn't sound like it in Fort Myers, especially at least, and who knows what's going to happen. I think it's been. I don't know how many years I was reading the other day. It's been since it's been a direct hit because I lived in Florida for a couple of years and it was always up the East coast, up the West coast, through yeah. the panhandle into Georgia. It was never like a boom, all of Florida. Yeah. Panhandle was getting the most recently through Mesco Beach last time, three years ago, four years ago, because they enrolled the storms, but it's been a while since the seven of those things have had. So I have one last question for you and then I obviously please stay if you can. And I want to talk to Scott briefly about some of his parks and the prep there, but after this is over and you get these reports and these damages, if people are watching the show and they want to either monetarily or boots on the ground or medics doing or whatever, right? What is the best way for them to do that? Contact us. Right. 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 I can do that. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. 562-7151. That's the Thrift Line Association. My email, eatfriendwap at frvca.org. So yeah, call us, shoot me an email, look us up a lot or whatever it takes. 
And as far as monetary assistance, we do have a disaster relief fund, so we can accept offers there. But yeah, mainly it's just communication at first. And then if you are a park annual operator and you have space or you need assistance, just let us know and we'll connect the dots and bring people together that they can help. It's just a networking thing. And that's what we do best is try to bring people together and connect the right people to the resources they need. And you said it. using parks, it's not, it's not really monetary need at first. That's the biggest thing. And that's something we can't control, unfortunately. But lack of fire, lack of utilities and water, that's going to shut a park down real quickly. Unfortunately, the rebuild can be pretty quick. Uh, yes, there's a lot of damage to the actual physical buildings, but that's what's flagship with an RV park. Once the water is eyes and once fire is back on and utilities and predators are working, then you got your land back. So. That's the main thing. And you can answer all that. I'm sorry, you just say B Cornwell at farvc.org, right? Correct. Okay. I'm just going to put that in the chat so everybody can see it. And then we'll just briefly show it on the screen here. So I didn't manage to get your phone number typed in, but if you do see the chat on the right side with a little R, you can type it. It'll go to all the social media channels. So people can see it attached to the video. If you want to put your number in there too, uh, but really appreciate you being here. Bobby. I know again, you and I have known each other for quite some time and super appreciative of everything that associations in general, do, but especially this help that you're giving now in bad times is obviously invaluable and just really can't put it into what's how important it is. So, um, Thank you, Scott, briefly, just to switch to you, I'm curious, and, and you and I have talked about your parks and so not necessarily about hurricanes, but as you're going through this from an operator standpoint, right, you've got four parks and as we've talked about, or, or Bobby had mentioned three of them are the panhandle and one is over in St. Augustine, but still not that direct. At least not yet. It's going to be impacted by the rainfall at, at some point. So how do you as an operator, regardless of where the path is going, say to your, communicate to your parks, say, this is what we should do. This is our plan. This is how we're going to, is there a, well, like a yeah. plan or whatever in place or. <laughs> yeah, I like that. A battle plan. And that's the tough thing about hurricanes is, especially in contrast with other natural disasters, is you get a fair amount of heads up and warning in terms of the direction that it's heading but it is constantly shifting. So it really is when it comes to communication, it's communicating often and it's making sure that we are remembering all of our stakeholders because the instinct is to take care of the guests, take care of the guests. But we also need to remember that we have ownership groups that are very invested in their properties who need regular updates of what's happening. The most impactful thing that we can do is be communicating with the leaders on the property and making sure that they have that battle plan. And to a certain degree, you can have a battle plan that is, here is the process. And ideally you take that off the shelf and you tailor it to the specific situation. And uh, that's what we've done with our parks is really focus on communicating often and early. And a part of that communication is making sure that we're prepared for when communication changes, right? Because as this goes on, power goes out phone lines go out. So it's making sure that we have emergency contact information. It's making sure that our guests have a phone number to call. It's making sure that we are working with you, Brian, to uh, get things posted on our website, on social media, so that people, there's a lot of touch points and there's a lot of stakeholders. So it's making sure that we're constantly identifying those touch points and those stakeholders and providing the regular updates because there's regular changes that that we need to convey to everyone. So I want to walk through this just like we did Bobby, right? Step-by-step step. and it, acknowledging that the owners and stakeholders, we, I certainly want to talk about that, but I think that's probably a little bit less important to me and the public than the people who are on right now. Obviously it's huge. It's important, right? But from a people on the ground that need to get out of the path of a hurricane in context, a little bit less important, right? So let's start with the staff, right? If you've got a manager on staff or on your team, at least maybe a co-manager, you've got other people who are running, depending on the size of the park activities and things like that, work campers. So how do you communicate first with your staff who's saying, I have a responsibility to this park, but there's also a giant hurricane headed toward me and I have family. So I, do I want to leave? Do I want to stay? What do I do? So what, what kind of guidance and reassurance do you provide to those people first? Yeah, great question. We, our primary communication early on is to ask them to be plugged in to their local ordinances because they're the ones who are getting those local alerts, who have the relationships with their county and city officials. 
they're getting the best guidance at the local level. So we are asking them early on, be connected, uh, keep updated and relay those updates up, upward, getting the communication out and then getting, having, asking them to be in contact with our guests, get that early communication out. Here's our plan. This is subject to change. And this is for parks that are going to be in both the parks that we expect to receive that direct hit and also parks that might be of service because a, a message to one park's guest might be uh, that we're expecting the hit. Here's the time frame in which we've received this guidance. Uh, a mandatory evacuation is in order or not. But then for those parks that, that are out of the path, we have the opportunity to be a resource for our other parks and for our communities. So it's making sure that they know that we are operational, that we have sites available, that trying to be a good neighbor to the whole state. And then how do you handle it from a, I know you touched briefly on it from a guest perspective, right? But there's so many, there's so many intangibles here and so many different variables that come into play. And we talked jokingly said, but it's a very serious thing when the manager says, here's my responsibilities for my job, but I also have my family and I want to evacuate, but there's not a mandatory evacuation in place. So same kind of things with the guests, like how do you, is there a plan in place to say at this cutoff time, even if there's not a mandatory evacuation and we feel like it's the best move that we suggest you leave or make you leave, even though it's not mandatory, but we as a private property do. Yeah, great, great question. And kind of as, as Bobby said, you enter those, what do you have the authority to make someone do or not make someone do? Where we really try, what we really try to do is make sure that we are allowing people to make informed decisions on their own. There are some things that we just won't allow you to do, right? If we are, we have some coastal properties, we have some areas that's right there by the seawall. If that's the case, we need you to move your RV. We need you to find another spot. We need you to secure everything. There are certain things that we also ask, just in terms of make sure you've got your fresh water tank filled, make sure your lines are secure, make sure your site is clean. So, so there are some like common guidelines that we do feel like we need to give that direct ask. But in terms of, we also don't want to inadvertently put anyone in harm's way. We can only control what we can control. And that is making sure that people have the, have accurate information, that they know the resources that we have available to us and, and allow people to make their own decisions so long as it doesn't put our team and our property at risk. And fortunately, property management systems have made like leaps and bounds. We use resort data processing for most of our properties. We also have camp spot and, and just the ability through the property management system to get those messages out to guests, to send an email, to send a text companies like you run with insider perks to get communication out quickly. I don't think has ever been easier for operators. That is, we're grateful for that, especially as, as often as the direction changes. I think this is probably a dual question. Maybe Bobby, you want to chime in on this too, being in Florida and given that you're exposed to a lot more of these disasters than many of the other states are or provinces or things like that, right? We saw Canada got hit by one totally just random, unexpected, barely happens. Is there, are there things that like building codes, right? As we built, so they build some of these high rises and they put hurricane windows and they put stand up to a cat five building code. Are there things that go into place like that at, at RV parks, uh, either that you can add on as a, an enhancement? Is it worth it from a cost perspective? Is it acquired from a new permitting? Like you were talking about Bobby? Yes. And that works. Yeah, times have changed in Florida, of course. But you have to go after Andrew went through Miami and Upstate area, that five storm, and ever since then they revived stability codes for residential and commercial. So any stick building that is built in a campground will have to meet those standards, whatever that may be, depending on the coastal area or with your inlet okay. or land select plan or whatever that may be. So I mean that that has to meet current building standards. But for the RB, those parking in sight. You know, that's the bit of the therapy that can be the crap paddles. They're a different animal. They're built for RV standards, but yet they're tied down. But how well they're going to hold up, I, I'm not, I'll be honest with you, not 100% sure if they're built to where they're building code for a sick building. I should stamp yeah. wind strength. I, I'm not sure. But that's why, once again, it's, it's advisable if you're an RV and this one's coming your way to try to evacuate your part. Now, there are some counties that are straight through the nights. 
And I've heard from some new RV park developers who are building along coastal areas that they actually have to build a rec hall, if you will, a shelter that will accommodate X number of people, depending on how many sites they have. This is a statewide thing that some counties are going that extra mile, which from a safety standpoint, I see that from a development standpoint and a cost standpoint, the first to build an RV park, it's astronomical what it costs to build one of those things. So I claim it for our head zone to say that it's out there. So, so that's what I was kind of trying to get at. I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you. It's varies county by county. It really does. And that's what I was going to get at. Like, uh, yes, they have to follow building code, and we've talked about the RVs, and, and we know that is what I was trying to ask. And maybe it's a there's nothing, but is there ways that optional ways that a park owner could prepare for this in order to have less damage after the fact beyond the buildings? Beyond the buildings, I'm not sure. Like Scott said, uh, the basics you make sure in the fly around is removed or bolted to the ground. A lot of damage actually comes from our from our bees that have been left on or cannot be removed, and then they get blown around, and that can be very cause damage. Does it? Well, so you know anything that is movable, obviously get out of there or pull down. Beyond that, it, it depends on the flood level and the zone you're in. Elevation, flooding is a big part of it. You can only do so much for wind, of course. And yeah. your father in line, you're going to help them. And then you have the tree damage. So there's so many different variables of what can happen. And yet, typically, uh, the trees falling, and that's not just from RV parts, that's with things as well, residential areas yeah. that cause some more damage than anything else. It's usually not a roof being blown off or house being flooded. It's a tree that falls down. Sure. Well, that's what I'm like asking, right? Is, <laughs> is like far and preventative. Not talking. I'm not talking about the day that you find out the storm is coming to you, but like making sure like dead trees are pulled out of your park, <laughs> making, making sure your sites are graded differently because sure. you might be in a floodplain, even though it's optional and not required. Maybe this is something I want to do just in case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's you're right. The tree thing is, and if once again you got to wait to get the bad. Nobody wants to go camping where it's in a barren desert, right? Now, but the trees. And they can be hazardous, and that's the same with a home too. They offer the, the shade that everybody wants, the privacy everybody wants. They can cause a lot of damage too. Good and bad. Another thing that we do at our parks is to really elevate everything that we can. Records, any anything that we can get off the floor and as high as you can get it yeah. in case that there is that flooding. Do what you can to prepare for perishables. A lot of parks have a store or they might even have a food and beverage option, a restaurant option. Be prepared for power outages and try to have ice chests and what you can to mitigate the uh, amount of loss that you get. Yeah. And that brand too awesome. Even if the storm is not apparent or, or coming your way. Whenever a guest checks in, if you're one of the parks, especially that is on the coast, I don't care where in Florida or anywhere else, but let them know this is our procedure. It's when pops up, this is our disaster plan. So for the park owner, operator, and the management on staff to, to know what that plan is. And if you have something available, hand out a checklist for all the RBers, what they need to do. Get that out in advance. The more they're prepared and know what to expect, the easier it's going to be whenever it comes around. Yeah. One of the things that to that point, one of the things that we've noticed is people love being a part of the solution. And one of the, it's unfortunate, but one of the, one of the silver linings that you get in a natural disaster is that there is that camaraderie and that sense of community. We all go through this together. And it's those moments that you recognize the importance of Bobby's role and an association's role. And it's what, it's a time that, um, individuals really want to pitch in and be a part of the solution. And we see that both with our guests and with our team members. You're absolutely right. We have managers who are in that spot where they say, I've got families and I'm looking out for my safety and security, but the park means that there's that sense of obligation that people want to be a part of taking care of what they have. And the other piece is it's a time that the community really rallies together. And just as a good example, our park in St. Augustine that we have, we have one ownership group that has the RB park with us and they have a hotel with a different management company and, and us and the hotel are working in concert with each other. And it's just a good opportunity to look out for everybody in the area and really be at service for, this is a time that competitors really become friends and we've got options to, to look out for each other. Yeah, for sure. That's something that is is awesome to see 
as they come yeah. together. And I, I wish more people would come to associations before they need lobbying help or a hurricane is headed their way. Some do, but we need everybody to be a member, Bobby. How do we make that happen? Without sending a hurricane at them, how do we make that happen? Get the word out. That's it. It's all in the promotion and marketing and just getting the word out. But yeah, Scott brought a great point up and they really, the part really do help each other. We've seen it time and time again. And I guess it's cliche because you know, everybody says it, but our industry is fantastic. And it's so close knit and grouped and we to relate to each other. And they did come out. I mean, parts will come out and help the parts that are in the provide sites for anybody who needs it locally and just offer that up extra upping hands and the support. So, it's a shame it happens, but it's good that we all work together. I think I would like to, and this is a regret maybe that I have, but maybe I hope there's not a next time, but we all know Florida's Florida and hurricanes are hurricanes. So uh, maybe we could work together with you, Bobby, where we can create some kind of a form process where we can have an article running on modern campground, like a constantly updated special thing that says these parks are available to evacuees. These parks are open. These parks are safe. These parks have open sites, those kinds of things. It would be a little bit of maintenance, but I think with our team and maybe working with you guys, that might be a, an avenue that we could help some people. I would love it. And yeah, I talked to you behind the scenes on this and off the air, Brian, but you're the tech guy, right? And we don't have good, we have a fantastic Facebook group and we'll, we'll put stuff on that, but yeah, I wish we had a live mechanism where people could post these things and just be storm related and get the information you're talking about. So yeah, let's figure that one out. For sure. We'll figure it out and we'll figure out a way for Insider Perks or Modern Campground to sponsor it too and make sure that it's available. Because that's important. That's awesome. What a way we can get that. Be a great resource. Definitely. Okay. So we've talked about this unfortunate. We don't have any other updates. Any other updates that you've gotten, Bobby, from Florida? Or? No, it's such a good idea. I wish you could post it. Yeah. Is it in my email? What's that? Oh, no, it's in your, on your message get message i said it enough but anyway yeah if you'd like to send you some stuff where you play an hour post it later it's not pretty it's not pretty it's what showing you get a message flooding yeah down the street it, you go to the send me the message i'm gonna find it sorry yeah this one on your phone i just sent it to your phone oh okay storm surge go ahead. coming up through Tampa Bay, pretty bad if you watch the live cameras. And some of them are already gone down because it's just that bad. Sorry, I'm just looking for you. The last time there was a direct hit, the Tampa was. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit still, Susan Lee. I don't know what, it, it just doesn't like you, Susan, and everybody else likes you. It's just. Technology doesn't, for whatever reason. If you can send it, yeah. Is it a YouTube link, Robbie, or? No, it's a personal video from a park owner showing you. Looks like an RV, but it could be a. Wow. You can see it. That's four meters. Man. I look at that from Exactly where, but yeah, I got more of these than I would like. So anyway, yeah, my printing, but I'm sure this is on the national news as well. Really important. Again, our, uh, yeah, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody down there. And the it would be nice definitely to do some kind of relief fund for camp. When well, things happen, you have that. Put it up. We have a disaster relief fund that's small dollars. So it's a little bit will help, but we rarely get a part that requests financial assistance. And what we could give them as an association is map what they would need to rebuild. Like I said, and sometimes every little bit helps, but the park painters that are really going to be needing funds are they're going to be needing hundreds of thousands of dollars, far more than an association could provide. But it's connecting them with the resources of whether it's government relief or small business loans. That's something that we do as well. We're talking about what do we do as an association. We try to help them in those times and provide that financial assistance. If we can't give it, then we'll connect them to somebody who can. So that's a big part of it. And then through legislation, just allowing them to rebuild quickly without any roadblocks or bureaucracy, that kind of stuff. So working with local government to assist in any way we can with that too. It's important. Again, make sure if you are in Florida or you need any assistance or you just want to maybe reach out to the association, executive director Bobby here, and you know, see what you can do to help. 
his email address is on the screen there. I know you want to give out your yeah, phone number one more time, Bobby. Find what you got there that works, but I just in a private chat here, I got the correct one. Oh, I'm sorry. I will copy and paste that and put that on here too. Yeah, I've got the time as well. So there's the correct email, and then I'm putting the email and there or the phone number in the chat as well. And that was a lot to all those. There's Bobby's email address. If you guys want to reach out, see if you can help or communicate. And then here's Bobby's phone number too. You know what? I, I probably should go ahead and so we could right? And really give us on our route online doing it. It's all my business cards everywhere else. So oh boy, this is going to live on the internet forever, Bobby. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> it's out there on the website, right? What? Once it's out there, you can never take it back. Yeah. Sorry to out there. There's Mr. Bobby's graciously provided so far. I made it time as well. But yeah, any last thoughts, final thoughts about, uh, I know, and we lost our other guests. Sorry, I had a stutter there, brain fart. Is it Steve? I talked to too many people and I'm old. Oh my goodness. But he had to jump off. But thank you so much, Susan, for joining us. We hope, you know, sorry you had your audio issues again. Hopefully we can try to fix that. Are you on your phone or your desktop? Or I'm on my phone this time to my desktop. Our, our internet went down. Again. Out. We'll get in touch with you before next show. And we'll, maybe we can jump on a private session and see if we can make it work. Yeah. Because we really want to, your, your valuable contribution to this. So. Uh, thank, you. thank you, Scott from IBA Group again for joining us, talking about your parks repaired. My pleasure. Well, thanks for asking me. And I think a lot of people just don't, obviously in Florida, they think about the more, but with the wildfires in California and British Columbia and other places and tornadoes, there's all kinds of ways that this is valuable to people. So I appreciate you being here. And as always, Bobby, executive director of the Florida Association, we'll have to have you on sometime to talk about happier things, Bobby. There you go. Um, <laughs> can I come on for happier things too? Yeah, you can come on for happier things. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions on what happier things you like to talk about? Or I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about, let's talk about guest satisfaction. Let's talk about team member memories. Let's talk about, let's talk about life and fun things. How bad we're doing here in Florida, how the, how the business is. And there you go. There you go. Record breaking news there. All right. Yep. We will get you guys back on the show then. And we will talk about both of those things and certainly some more. Really appreciate everybody being here again. Next week, I think is our open discussion show. So join us for that. We've got some regular guests appearing. I will be hopefully on the show from the glamping show doing it live and if not kara will be here hosting it for you guys as well so super appreciative for everybody for being here and we will see you next week and thanks again to our sponsor camp spot for sponsoring the show take care guys thanks everybody thanks brian thanks for watching this episode of mc fireside chats hosted by brian searle and kara sismadia have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.